Hello and welcome back to The Andrew Haynes Show. Today's episode, Andrew sat down with James Collins, the Senior Director of Ticket Sales and Staff Development for the LA Kings and AEG Sports. James worked his way through college working at Wells Fargo, and after graduating, he immediately jumped into a lifetime career in sports, which was where he is today. Starting in 2004, he started working for several sports teams, including the LA Clippers, Atlanta Hawks, New Jersey Devils, Ontario Fury, and now the LA Kings. James was a pleasure to have on the show today, and we hope you enjoy. Support for The Andrew Haynes Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code AGH at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code AGH. Your balls will thank you. All right, we're back for another show, and today I've got James Collins with me. He has been involved in sports for about as long as I have, yeah, forever, right? (laughs) Been in the major league level, minor league level, um, you know, highly recommended when it comes to ticket sales and sales training, so that's why I was excited to get uh, James on board here. So thanks for joining me, James. No, thanks for having me. I'm flattered. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, Bernie um, from the Ontario Fury, who I know from competing against him, he was just telling me how instrumental you were in, you know, their success and and what they did there and just speak so highly of you. So I was like, well, we need to get you on the show to learn more. So uh, let's start off. Just share us, share with us kind of your journey, you know, where you're from, kind of all the way up to here. I know that you've You've kind of um, been on each, each uh, coast um, and involved in, you know, just about every sport. So, yeah, um, man, as you get older, this gets harder because you don't <laughs> like, want to go on too long. Um, no, I'm, I'm 42 years old. I, uh, I graduated high school from the main line in Pennsylvania back in 1996. Uh, we were just chatting about it. My claim to fame is Kobe played against my high school and uh in Pennsylvania, Conestoga, he was at Lower Marion. No, I didn't make the team. No, I didn't have to guard him. Um, but I, uh, I moved to California. My mom lived out here and I was going to put myself through school. And so uh, I was uh, off and on in school the first couple of years, getting residency and whatnot, and uh, eventually started working at Wells Fargo. And it was horrible. It was uh, back office operations, processing checks before uh, before 9-11 and everything went digital. So eventually fast forward to 2003, I had been applying for jobs on teamwork like a lot of kids do for years and never had any response. But uh, eventually I got an interview with the LA Clippers and Inside Sales and I uh, was invited down to Staples Center and it was awesome. Um, got turned down. Uh, they liked me, but they're like, you have no sales experience, kid. And I was like, well, you invited me. But uh, they brought me back again, got turned down again, brought me back a third time. They're like, we just, we love you. We're just waiting for you to do that thing. And I was like, well, I don't know what that thing is, but let's hope it happens this time. So I got the job with Clippers uh, and inside sales. I was working two jobs, driving 200 miles a day, sleeping three hours a night, trying to make things happen. All true stories. Not when not you, when you stories. were, when you got turned down, what was that time period? Like that, you, you- uh, pretty fast. Like it, it was uh, started the interview process probably sometime in June, and I got hired by August. So we're talking three group interviews in a two month okay. period. 
Um, and again, they were, they were forthcoming about that. Like, we, we know you're passionate. We just want to see more. And uh, so, like I said, they brought me in. Um, we had like 40 people, maybe 50 people that were in inside sales that year. I finished second on the board. Um, nice. The guy that beat me uh, sold quartzites to a strip club. And uh, <laughs> true, so I sold quartzite row Bs. He sold row A's. But, um, you know, that year I worked for a guy named Michael Aria. He became one of my really big mentors and now he's one of my great friends. Um, he was like, you should go to Atlanta if you want to do great things in your career. There's a guy there named Bernie Mullen. Uh, he ran team marketing at the NBA and he's a guy that you're going to want to work for. Uh, and I, if Aria said it, I did it. So moved to Atlanta. I was there for two and a half years, learned a lot about selling a tough product in a bad sports market. Um, met great people. Work, we were just talking about it. unbelievable people that I worked for there. Um, but my mentor was a guy named Jeff Miranda. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff. Hmm. Um, he's the EVP of the uh, Ottawa Senators. He just got up there. He was in Phoenix with the Coyotes. But um, I was there for two and a half years with him. He really became the guy that I just, you know, really admired, respected, just full of integrity. He left for Sacramento uh, with the Kings. It was a real gut punch to all of us. But uh, for me, I knew I had a chance to follow him. So I did, was there for a year and a half in sales. Um, you know, at five and a half years selling, I knew I didn't want to sell forever. I wanted to get into management. I felt like I was a better leader or coach. So uh, through Michael Aria, I had the chance to go to the Ontario Reign at the time, ECHO expansion team in Southern California. Um, went out there. I was there for the first four and a half years of the team. Didn't want to go work in the minors. Like my ego was such that you're bigger than the minors. <laughs> Ooh, the minors, yuck. But, yeah, no one wants to touch that. But I went down and I interviewed there and I, I saw the operation. I saw the arena. I saw everything they were doing. And I was like, I just have to have this job. So again, meant to be there like a year. Didn't expect yeah. to be there a long time, but it was the best four and a half years of my career. Um, you know, we did great things. I then had the opportunity to, uh, meet a guy named Eric Hewson. Are you familiar with him, Andrew? Mm -hmm. That's the next guy you got to get on the show. He runs a nonprofit called we're all a little crazy. Um, Eric, uh, was doing great things at the New Jersey devils, a place that's impossible to sell tickets and have success. He was really reversing all their trends there. So had a chance to go work for him for two years. I was the director of ticket sales and service. Um, we had the largest staff in the NHL. We were doing great things. Three years straight, uh, top three in the NHL, new season sales. Um, but unfortunately, there was an ownership change, and Eric uh, moved out and did other things. And the right in the wall, things were not going to be the same. So I left. I went back to Ontario. That's where I met Bernie. Uh, I was the director of premium seating at Citizens Business Bank Arena, now Toyota Arena, uh, for AG Facilities. Um, in that agreement, uh, they gave me the opportunity to manage the Ontario Fury sales staff for a couple of years. And I was like, sure. You know, the more I went from managing 75 to managing three, it was torture <laughs> only because like when you have that many people under you in Jersey and you walk off the elevator, the sales energy just punches you in the face. And then you work in premium seating for an AG facility and it's not quite as rambunctious. So long and short, did that for a couple of years, um, had an opportunity uh, to start a, a new company called Accelerated Sports Career Academy uh, with the, my business partner, who was the former president of the Ontario Ring, Justin Kemp, um, and a, a couple other business partners. We launched ASCA back in uh, June of 2016. ASCA is dedicated to growing people's careers in sports and entertainment, uh, primarily in the sales, service, and marketing side. 
So did that, started that back in 2016. I've been the chief education officer there ever since. Um, probably two years into that project, um, we partnered with AG on a phone loan out of downtown LA in our offices. Um, in the first probably six months of partnering there, we were doing great things on that phone loan. And Darren Abbott and Ryan Miller came to me from AG and said, look, you know, this is a great collaboration, but why don't we just bring you on board? And you'll kind of be that old guy that's our internal sales trainer and you'll be the senior director of ticket sales. So I was like, as long as I have the chance to continue operating my company and teaching, then why wouldn't I want to go back to working for AG? And the first year I was in Ontario with the rain again, which was surreal because it was like eight years later. Um, but then uh, last April of 2019, I joined the Kings and uh, been here ever since. So uh, my career definitely has been dedicated to revenue generation and selling. I'm a sales geek. I love it. Like, I think it's the most awesome profession for people that do it right and make it fun. I can't imagine doing anything else. I sure as hell wouldn't want to do anything else. Uh, it's just, uh, it's been a great ride so far. We'll see where it takes me. So why ticket sales? Why, you know, why that side of things? No, uh, <laughs> why ticket sales? Isn't that what everyone dreams of doing? No, it was, um, you know, it, I wanted to get into advertising in the NBA. Like I've always been a huge NBA fan and it was probably a year and a half in, in my opinion. And again, this is not to knock anyone in advertising and marketing and pro sports. In my opinion, the true creative is usually outsourced to an ad agency. Like if you're talking about a high level ad or marketing campaign, like it's paid and outsourced and then they bring it in and they follow it. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. At the same time, I saw all the top executives with pretty much every team I worked for, you know, came up through sales. And it was like, you have a chance to be in that draft room or, you know, be involved in bringing on that ad agency for that campaign or whatever it might be. Why not? And, you know, it became something that I really started to understand as you kind of dissect sales and, and understand it's like, you don't have to have this huge booming personality to be great at it. You've got to just understand what you do well and play to your strengths. And I just, uh, like I said, I've been a geek of it ever since 2004. Like what kind of pushed you to start your own business too on the side? Yeah. Um, so Ryan Miller, Evan Flagg, Justin Kent, myself, we were at lunch one day in Ontario and we're like, it sucks hiring these kids. Like they just, they go through these sports management programs and they'll meet you at a career fair and they'll say, yeah, I'm a sports management major. Cool. What do you want to do? <laughs> oh, I want to be in broadcasting or I want to be a GM or I want to do this or whatever. And you're always like, yeah, that sounds really awesome. Who wasn't, who wouldn't want to do that? But what are you yeah. qualified to do? What are your skill sets? Well, I'm a sports management major. And so we decided to launch this program so that we could give people an accelerated pathway into sports and something that matters to owners. Like we know how important sales are at the Kings prior to COVID. We were probably 60, 70 people through ticket sales and sponsorships, more than half the company. Again, when you're tar talking Harris Blitzer, you know, we were between the Devils and 76ers, we were over 175 salespeople between the two companies at one point. It's such a huge part of the business. It's so needed at every level. So we said, okay, we'll just, we'll be honest with kids. We're not going to help you break into communications or broadcasting or coaching. We're going to help you get into sales, service, potentially CRM, ticket ops, if you have some of those skill sets. But we wanted to make sure that we could provide a really solid candidate to the sports world. And at the same time, be really real with the student about what sports is. 
and make sure, hey, we want you to know what it's likely you're going to do if you come into this. So it's not a ton of money to do ASCA. Like it's something, it's a supplement to a four-year degree. We're not a replacement in any way, shape or form. Um, so like I said, we feel like we've done great things. Uh, we placed 170 students over the course of the last three and a half years, nice. primarily in the major leagues, which is cool. Um, but yeah, no, what's really nice is when you see like two, three years in when they start to move their career right. and really start to become, you know, managers or high level sellers or whatever, like that's the rush. That's what I love so yeah, much about I love this that. business. Yeah. yeah, especially, I mean, you know, with your, your training program. So, so how's the program work? So is it only for kids that are in school or already have a degree? Yeah, um, that's a great question. No, uh, we take everybody. Like we, we were going to be real with you, but you know, we've had right now through COVID, we've got 38 people doing the program. It's exclusively virtual. Uh, we used to have a beautiful office overlooking Staples Center prior to COVID. Uh, but unfortunately, it was quite expensive and not being able to bring anyone in. We had to break that lease. But um, no, it's, um, it, it's a program that's done virtually. It's module-based instruction, and it's done at their speed. Uh, so we, the bulk of our students are usually 22 to 32. But we've, again, you recently interviewed one of our students, CJ LaRoche, um, you know, who's okay. you know, for over 40 years old and looking to make a pivot and transition from yep. Broadway into event management and sports. So uh, again, we take people of all backgrounds, shapes, sizes, and forms. How long is the program and what's kind of covered in it? Yeah. So again, it's module based instruction. Um, what, what I tell everyone is if you're not completely overwhelmed with odd jobs and things like that right now, it should take you about a month and a half to finish it. Um, it's about 14 hours of instruction coupled with one off consultation with us. And essentially what we're doing is making sure your resume and LinkedIn are on point. Most importantly, LinkedIn, like you have to have a LinkedIn profile that works, articulating your brand online the right way. Um, intro to sports, we want them to understand the culture of working in team sports, the good, bad, and indifference. Like at the minor league level, you're going to roll tarp, you're going to put on a mascot costume, you're going to be selling sponsorships. The major league level, you're going to be put into a box and be told this is what you do. Don't ask to do anything else. <laughs> don't even so look we, in that other room. <laughs> no, don't even, they don't exist to you. So no, it's one of those things where we want to make sure they have a real understanding of what it is. Uh, sales, we're going to teach them to sell everything, season tickets, mini plans, groups, B2B versus B2C, uh, and charting a career path towards sales leadership, corporate sponsorships, and premium seating. Like we want them to have a really thorough understanding of how to circumnavigate that universe and find success. Um, and then really the last thing is landing the job. Like I think the, the college system in this country does a crap job in two areas. Number one, writing a really solid resume that can help you. Um, I've seen some really bad resumes over the years. Um, and then the interview process, probably the most important thing. Like I've, I've had some unbelievable students, Andrew, who really on paper, perfect. And then right. when you interview them, they it's can't like, Damn, They I, just don't know. It's something worse. like, it, it really, I feel bad for them because it's like, you should be the candidate, but unfortunately you haven't been taught how to interview. You don't know how to deal with the human being or whatever it might be. So we go back and forth with mock interviews all day long. Like again, we, I used to do it on the car ride to El Segundo. I'd have a two and a half hour car ride home pre-COVID and I'd be on four straight mock interviews, you know, just hammering it out on the phone with them, making sure that they're ready. They understand what to expect on the other side. So uh, we want to 
draw from their experience so that they can show how brilliant they are. Because a lot of them, they're really talented kids. Just that yeah. unfortunately, they're told, hey, we've got an interview workshop at the campus center on the weekend at 8 a.m. Be there for a half hour and we'll take care of everything for you. It's like, no, they, they need a little bit more attention than that. So, so do you um, tell them to have a cover letter or not have a cover letter? Because that's I a big debate that I, yeah, I, am, a, I feel strong about. <laughs> I'm anxious to hear what you say. Um, for me, I'm against the cover letter. I'm against okay. the objective. And here's why. Um, if you've got 500 candidates that apply for a job in sports, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. I don't want to read 500 cover letters. Cover letters, just that person saying how brilliant they are and how qualified they are in their own opinion. And I just don't want to deal with it. So for me, we tell them, take off the objective off your resume, take the cover letter away, go straight to the meat and potatoes of who you are. Show us that brilliant accomplishment first and let that entice the reader and kind of get them to draw in and, and then go deeper. Your take? I'm old school, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, I say I'm old school because <laughs> a lot of professors are saying not to do the cover letter now. I personally, you know, if I'm looking at 500 applicants, yeah. I can peruse through cover letters and eliminate people a lot faster. Wow. And so I do it as a way to eliminate people. If you don't yeah. put a cover letter, I just eliminate you. Now, I put in the description must include a cover letter. Yeah. And if they can't follow that instruction, then that's an easy, it's an so, easy way for me to get it down. Obviously I look for, you know, experience and things like that, but um, the cover letter for me gives me that quick little, I can, I can look at that for 10, 15 seconds. Uh, yes, no, maybe. And, and kind of, kind of flip through, rip through. Yeah. But um, you know, like for someone like myself who, who has been job hunting over the last few years. Like I said, my goal has always been to, you know, get into the major league level. And so I've always owned minor league sports teams, independent ones. So for me, a cover letter, I think is more helpful because somebody looks at my resume and they're like, well, why the hell do you want to work here? You've, you've owned teams or you've, you've done this or that. So for me, it gives me that quick little opportunity, but um, but hell, I haven't gotten any jobs. So. <laughs> well, I, I think there's one key thing that you said. I, I think you're probably looking at the much higher level stuff and we're talking entry level inside sales type roles. Gotcha. So there, especially it's like, they've got a very limited work experience if at all right. college. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think that would make sense and, and make no mistake. If ever the application says cover letter required, then do we work yeah. with them and we'll do it. Yeah. But we try to, I mean, again, to, and my wife is in HR, so I say this lovingly, we try to avoid HR. Like we, we go straight yeah. at the managers. We, we want nothing to do with the HR process. Yeah. I tell our students, like we'd rather have the door slammed in our face than have to get a return email three months later saying, Hey, thanks. But we want to different direction <laughs> or nothing, which happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that makes sense. And it's, you know, I know, even when I'm in leadership positions and, and we're hiring, I still look through that. And, but yeah, whoever's the direct, you know, supervisor or boss for that position usually takes point, you know, instead of, I mean, we've never had HR cause we're so small, you know, it's, sure. it's one person, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I try to just put that, you know, right in there with all your ticketing background, do you use any tools as far as um, software or platforms that have helped you be successful? 
Um, teams wise, yes, myself, no, because I'm old and the last time I was on the phones, it was just smile and dial and grind away. But <laughs> no, the Kings, I think the coolest thing about AG sports and the Kings are we're very tech savvy. Like we use pretty much everything. So uh, we might be a little late to the game in, in picking up Cadence software like Outreach. Uh, that's something that we're about to take on. But we, uh, we've used artificial intelligence. We use Conversica. Um, we use Ziplip for text messaging. Um, we use OneMob for video emails. So um, we, we, and then our CRM department is pretty top notch. I mean, we're in Microsoft Dynamic and Core. And again, they're scientists in terms of the way that they data mine and, and capture things for us. So um, the Kings definitely the most sophisticated team that I've worked for in terms of technology. Now that said, it is now six years. I know Harris Blitzer, you know, they, they're on top yeah. of their game and do things, but yeah, all that stuff helps and works. Has that been hard for you to transition? No, you just, you take it a little bit at a time. I mean, it's, it's I know we're getting old. So it's like, you know, we, <laughs> you, we are, I mean, you got it. But the funny thing is like, I, I am more on top of it than a 24 year old that works for us. So then again, my boss, Ryan Miller, who is my friend and my colleague, you know, he's, he's a true strategy junkie and, you know, he's always looking for cutting edge tech. And like I said, we're, we're pretty much on top of it. So you just, you have to take it a little bit at a time. Um, I remember when, um, so the Ontario rain, you know, that's by far, you know, the most fun I've had working in sports, uh, the, the ECHL team at the time, we uh, were lucky enough at the minor league level to have Ticketmaster Arctics. That was our ticketing system. Yeah. And if you've used it, you know it's got mm -hmm. a very simple but functional CRM system yep. built in. So that's what we use. We, why take on the additional expense? Because we're a minor league hockey team, right? So going into the Devils, I remember like CRM was, we had a CRM system back in Atlanta. Uh, and actually the Sacramento Kings used Arctics as well. So I hadn't had a lot of intro to CRM, but the devil's working for Eric Houston. He was big into CRM and, you know, um, Michael Strickland, our CRM manager, like they did crazy things. The dashboards were all over the, t the office on TVs and, you know, everything was in front of you and the reporting was at something I've never seen before. So if there was one time where I was truly shocked by it, it was probably Jersey. Um, you know, going from Arctics to Microsoft Dynamics. And yeah, because it is pretty basic. I mean, it, it's functional, but functional. But some basic. of these yeah. platforms are, are, you know, so customized and. You have to have the right people involved. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, I Salesforce is, you know, the, the program I'm the biggest fan of. I mean, it's amazing how easy it makes your life if, if it's managed properly. Um, but yeah, I would say that just that indoctrination of CRM, if you will, back in 2012, that was probably the only time where I was like, okay, this is going to take me a minute to really understand this. Because again, Sacramento Kings and Ontario Rain, you're talking about a six and a half year gap just using Arctics. Are, in your current role with AEG, do you sell as well or are you strictly leadership? Uh, post this a little bit more than I do, but, uh, you know, it, it's something where, you know, we staffed up quite a bit over the course of the last two years. So again, we were at like 55 salespeople prior to COVID and I had at one point three managers under me. So there wasn't really enough time to sell. I think it's probably coming down the pike uh, for me in the future is a little bit more time, you know, as the team gets better 
and we start to use outreach and you know stuff like that i expect that i'll be selling more in the next couple of years which will be good because it's been a while since i've done it every day at least yeah how what kind of challenges did you face when you went from major league to minor league in a world where people are more aware and plugged in than ever it's not enough to just have a great product consumers are looking for brands they can relate to that's where egghead creative comes in everything they do is powered by deepening the connection with your brand and every time you do business with them they'll build a bespoke team of highly specialized creatives designed specifically around what you need for more information visit eggheadcreativestudio.com that's e-g-g-h-e-a-d creativestudio.com or follow them on instagram at eggheadcreativestudio now back to the show You know, and how did you transition there? You know, I was very lucky the first time I did it because it, with the rain, uh, our ownership group was, they could have taken on ownership with a, a major league team if they wanted. Like they had those kind of resources. So we were resource heavy. Like we'd go to ECHL league meetings and I'd look at other, you know, minor league teams and I'd say, wow, <laughs> they, they, they don't have what we have. <laughs> a, number one, and Bernie knows this too. We had the best minor league market. We had 5 million people there. Um, but I wasn't stricken of resources the way. So like when I got to Ontario with the rain, I put in pretty much everything that we had done in Atlanta and with the Sacramento Kings might've been scaled down, but we had most everything. So it was going to the MASL, you know, that was, that was probably the <laughs> most interesting shock. It's like, yeah. how do you function? Yeah. I mean, we, so same kind of thing though, you know, Bernie was smart. Bernie did a great job of getting a great arena deal and having a partner in the GM of the building that, you know, wanted to help in any way he could. So Steve Eckerson was that GM and, you know, they, we, we shared resources. So as director of premium seating for AG, I would take as many things as I could and share it with. So again, the sales trainers that we would bring in, we bring in Charlie Chislagi or Michael Ari or whoever it might be. And normally having that kind of a, that expense to bring in that kind of person, yeah. you wouldn't have it at the MASL level no. very much, but I was able to share and, and do a lot of things and be creative. So um, luckily I would say I've been pretty fortunate in my career. I've had forward thinking people like Justin Kemp and Bernie, you know, that were willing to do what they had to do to, and they got tickets. And again, watching, I really enjoyed your interview with Bernie because like I said, I, meeting him, God, what was it now? Six, seven years ago. Like you can see then how much he was into ticketing and you can see it now. And I'm proud to say that if anything, I think I've just planted the scene in his head. Hey, it's really important. You got to put butts in. And he got, I don't want to come across like he didn't, but he's definitely a ticketing geek now. No, but you know, like he is a former player. And so yeah. a lot of times when a former player makes a transition into the front office or ownership, their focus is maybe on the, the play as opposed to, you know, the, the business sometimes. But, um, you know, he acknowledges that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, you, you are a big piece of, uh, you know, his learning curve and we're a big help. Any specific programs that you remember working on with, um, them or the, uh, um, um, the rain that have kind of, you know, stuck out that were successful campaigns. 
specific programs, just um, what we took from Atlanta and every team does it is just early bird renewal and new sales campaigns. Like you just have to go super early. Um, we were a couple of years ago and with the rain, we were like, again, usually it's winter sports teams, the season will end in April. You'll kind of start going on sale around February. Some teams will really go early. They'll go January. We were this close to going out in December a couple of years ago. You're talking two years into or two months like, into the season. Right. So that's culture shock for the fan. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I think it's just having a really good, um, having a really good early bird new sales and renewal campaign, something that just, you know, captures the attention of the fan, the prospect as early as possible, because again, once these seasons end, a lot of time when you're working for a big ticketing department, it's because the team is, you're either in a bad market or the team's not producing. And the second that that season ends, they don't care. Right? They, especially in a market like Ontario, we are talking 45 minutes from Dodger Stadium. The second right. that it's April 15th, if you're not in the playoffs, all they care about is Dodger baseball and summer vacation. So it's one of those things where I think just having a great early bird renewal and new sales campaign, usually leveraged, heavily incentivized with getting some portion of the season free. I think that's the biggest thing. So you giving the current season a portion of that free or discounts yeah. for next season? What they're um, buying. Whatever you can get away with per your ownership team, I would say. Yeah. Um, the one that I thought, and again, you're talking Bernie Mullen. So Bernie Mullen is the guy, you're familiar with him? Mm-hmm. You know, he ran Timbo, Sports Illustrated, dubbed him the godfather of sports marketing. So in Atlanta with the Hawks, we're talking an NBA basketball team. It was 2004, 2005. We were 13 and 69. Worst team in franchise history. Worst team in the NBA. It was horrible. And uh, we went out in February, and it's a 44-game season. We gave them half of the season free at Phillips Arena, like <laughs> that NBA basketball. So because we had to. And, I, again, we, we sold tickets. We did what we had to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think just being as aggressive as you can be, you never want to comp too much out because, obviously, you're going to fight it later. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to know your sales culture. You have to know your staff. You have to know the market. You have to know what you can get away with and you can't. Atlanta was a horrible sports market. Like the Atlanta Braves, the, the best story I could give you is two straight years, the Braves played the Houston Astros in the playoffs. Two straight years, Roger Clemens' last pitching performance ever would have been at Turner Field at the time. Two straight years, the building was half empty for those games. And that's how tough Atlanta is as a sports market. So when I think about what we did, I'm like, yeah, 22 games free is pretty aggressive. At the same time, it's like we were 13 and 69 and the Braves couldn't get half the building filled for Roger Clemens last game. So did it move the needle though there? Roger. Oh, the the, the early bird. Absolutely. I mean, in relative terms, because again, yeah, window yeah. Hawks game back then, you could legitimately be a section or two in between people. I mean, it, it was a tough year. I'll never forget that. I, uh, was the hockey team still there or the did they already move? So that was a lockout year. Um, okay. So I, I've worked through two lockouts. That's another funny story. Um, but um, they were there the first, they were locked out the first year. The second year I was there, the Thrashers came back and they were immensely popular. Uh, the, probably the biggest crime I think of anything I've been around with is the fact that the Atlanta Thrashers are not still the Atlanta Thrashers. They drew 14, 15,000 fans a game. 
Like we, we did really? really, oh, it was amazing. The, everyone in Atlanta is from Canada, Detroit, New York, yeah. New Jersey, et cetera. So there's a lot of built-in hockey and there's ton, many sheets of ice out there. Like kids grow up playing hockey, but the ownership group at the time was dedicated to the NBA basketball. So they were willing to give away the Thrashers for a dollar and Winnipeg took it and the rest is history. But um, it was awesome. And I know the people I still talk with in Atlanta, a lot of them are really, really sad that the Thrashers didn't make it. It was a really cool product. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I, I didn't know the full story there, but uh, um, I, I like Atlanta as a market. I think it's, it's probably pretty difficult. I haven't been there as far as working it, but uh um, I've, I've definitely been to Atlanta and, uh, you know, it's huge. I mean, there's so it's, much, it's like where I'm at in Florida, there's everything and anything. It's a great market in terms of money. The challenge is, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not from Atlanta, you don't identify with Atlanta teams. So therefore you only want to watch your team as they come into town. So the, the sociological study, if you will, that we talk about in our classes, Atlanta United FC why did they draw 70,000 fans a game? And my answer is, because I think you have all these transplants who for the first time in their 10, 20 years that they've lived in Atlanta, it's they're not soccer fans, it's right. theirs. Yeah. And they really just, they flock to it. And I think they've done everything right. I'm not trying to take away from what they've done yeah. because like a lot of MLS teams, they've done everything right. Uh, but I think they've captured that true transplant Atlantan and yep. made it theirs. That makes sense. I mean, I going back to the MASL, I've, I was negotiating with some arenas in Atlanta because I thought that would be a great market for um, the game. And, you know, it's spread out and there's some things, but I look at, you know, how many families are in that greater Atlanta area? Yeah. You know, how many kids are, are participating in oh, soccer, boys and girls? So and, you know, it's, it's crazy. So um, I always kind of, it, I couldn't get the arena deal to to a point where I was comfortable enough to pull the trigger, but it was definitely a market that I was interested in. I I looked at a job up there with the uh, the hockey team, the Gladiators, at one yeah. point. So uh, I looked at being the team president there was a finalist, but uh, um, you know it's it's definitely an intriguing area. It's an, it's an area that I I think would be a cool place to live, minus the traffic. It's beautiful, yeah. and the cost of living is awesome. So it's many so things. I can't believe how affordable it is. Uh, I mean, for for a city that pays you like you live in New York, they do well. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I won't say I'll never go back, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is a great place to live. I, I, there's a lot of things I miss about it. So what you know, what aspects of you know the minor league, you know, work did you like, God, and so not like? Things. Yeah, no, there's so many things. Um, the good and bad was um, you build, like, with the rain and the fury, it's more about a family event, and it's a sense of community. And it's, you really, this becomes the thing that people do on weekends. And, you know, again, it, it's a huge, huge part of their life. So I think the relationships that we built, like, especially because the fury and the rain played at the same venue, like we'd have crossover between fans and you'd see someone at both games. They're like, it's awesome. Yep. Like they're just, they're a part of Ontario and the Inland Empire. So I think that's what I love the most about it in terms of the fans 
what I hated most about it, about the fans are they're just too much in your stuff. And uh, it's like, why aren't you adding me to Facebook? You know, I send you an Instagram request. What's the deal here? <laughs> it's like, there's gotta be a line. Right. <laughs> Don't cross that line. Um, the other thing I loved about the minors versus the majors is again, the fact that you get to learn ex exponentially quicker level than working at the major leagues. Like the major leagues, you're going to get unbelievable direction for that one thing that you do. And it's going to be really special, but at the minor leagues, you're going to be thrown in the fire and you're going to have to just win it. And you're going to have to network. You're going to have to yeah. reach out to more people than you do at the at the major league level. Um, I really appreciated that. Like getting to Ontario with the rain those first four years, I had never managed a staff. I didn't quite know what to expect at the time, but um, you know, just had to do it. Like, so I think those are the things that, you know, I miss quite a bit. And again, I love working for the Kings and I'm excited about winning the Stanley cup. And I think we're going to get there in a couple of years. Um, but I do miss the rain every day. Like it's, it's, it's a place that every time I go there, I feel like I'm home. How has the sales like approach and process, you know, been, you know, similar and different uh, between the levels? Um, again, I, I think that the leagues do a great job. Like you, you talk about an NHL league call, you're talking about an NBA league call, you talk about an ECHL league call, AHL, MASL. Like I think the leagues are doing a great job of talking to each other and sharing best practices. So I don't think there's a huge difference in terms of selling at the different levels. It's really just resources, you know? So I, like I said, I've, yes, there are minor league teams out there that are minor league and there's nothing major league about them. Um, but I think for the most part, like, like Ryan Creelan is the commissioner of the ECHL. I think he does a fantastic job. Kevin Milliken working with him at the MASL, he worked really hard to make sure that the training was top notch. So I don't think selling it's that much different. Every once in a while, you're going to get a, a big name, you know, on the back of the jersey, or you're going to have a really great, you know, team that you're going to get behind at the major league level, and that will take care of itself. The excitement just drives um, the tickets. I've never had that yet. So, I'm, uh, like I said, I, the, hopefully, the, you know, the, the running joke is James is a playoff curse. So, I, uh, at least at the major league level. But, uh, no, I, I think that um, – Anytime that you can have something like that, it's just how long can you capitalize on it? Because the the one example I would give you is the Sacramento Kings. I got there in 2006 on the heels of an eight-year playoff run. And no, it wasn't my fault that they went and became what they became. But, uh, you know, they could have done a lot more to really – they had an eight-year sellout streak. They had a waiting list that was thousands and thousands of people. And they didn't take care of it. You know, and it, by the time I got there, the people that had been on that waiting list for eight years, they were disenchanted with the team. It's like, you yeah. know, I all I wanted was a call or a hat or a T-shirt yeah. or a preseason game or something. And so just send me my money back. I'm good with you now. So but the salesmanship itself you know, is it's all the same. What what is kind of like the day to day role that you have now with AEG? Like what what's so your day look like? pre-COVID, because COVID obviously is just meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, but pre-COVID, you know, get in, um, the Kings, pretty relaxed atmosphere. It's five miles from, or five minutes from the beach. So it's beach people. 
Um, but you know, we've, we've got Hoopla or, or Haral on the TVs, you know, so you've got all the numbers from the CRM system and someone gets a sale, we play music. We have lots of games and contests and incentives. For me, I like to live in the pit. Uh, so the running joke is I carry a baseball bat over my shoulder and I'll walk around and I just ask to get an update on a good call. Like what happened there? What could we have done? You know, what, anything that you need to get that done now. Uh, I love just spending time with the reps and hearing their stories and having fun and just taking them off the phone. Like if they're beat up a little bit, you know, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? What was good? Let's come back up. Yeah. Just, just so they're, they know they're human and that yeah. people do care, you know? So for me, then you're probably talking about two or three meetings in the afternoon and, you know, getting involved with the strategy stuff as, as much as you are at the senior director level. So, um, but the time in the pit is what I live for. Like it's, it's my, like for people that know me, they know that I don't love going to the games as much. Like my favorite day is day one of the off season. Day one of the off season is when their sales superstar shows up ready to go. And they're like, okay, I know the challenge is here now. Let's go. Get this is my, exactly. And so that's the day that I live for um, because then it's like, all right, now we get to see who the superstars are. And, are you, and, and helping that person out is what I look for. Yeah, that's great. Are you kind of the, you know, I mean, I know you said you were old school, like as far as smiling and dialing, is that kind of how you run the ship there or can't, you know? you can't anymore? No, I mean, the, the good and bad is you can't do that anymore. So um, we measure everything in activities, not phone calls. Like yeah. I, you'd be a dinosaur to tell someone that's really good at selling through emails and text message, pick up the phone, dude. You know, now that said, I, I will say one thing. Luke Robitaille is our team president, and he's a Hockey Hall of Famer, and he's won cups on the ice as a player, won as an executive. And what I tell the staff is, I'm like, think about Luke and think about that championship locker room that he was a part of and think about how intense it must have been. Reward him by being that in the office, meaning if 35 salespeople are texting and emailing, what does it sound like? does it sound like success? And the answer is no, it sounds like a morgue. And so it's like, just understand the room and know when to pick it up and know when yeah. to, you know, so it's just managing their day effectively. But unfortunately, can't do what we used to do. Like it used to be 80 calls a day, smile and dial and get after it, but it's not quite that way anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, with my last team, I mean, that's kind of what we focused on. It was uh, really for me, it was, it's about, um, touch points, you know, how many new, how many, you know, follow-ups, that kind of thing. Uh, yep. Still need to hit certain numbers that way, but I've, I've started to see a lot of success through um, like social media though. Yeah. And I've been able to close deals and get, get um, leads through LinkedIn. Um, you know, we, we had a good system down in Virginia with the Nationals minor league team. I mean, we had, we probably sold about $50,000 in deals from inbound leads on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so, you know, I always tell people you gotta, it, you're always, <laughs> always working it. So. Yeah. The funny thing is that that is the one thing that I think most teams, major league, minor league suck at is Big utilizing time. social media to actually, you know, prospect and find leads. So I'll give him a pub, uh, a guy that, you know, I'm working with, his name is Larry Levine. He's a sales author. His book is called Selling from the Heart. And there's two main things that Larry hits home on. Number one is being authentic and not being an empty suit. 
And number two is the power of social. And again, utilizing and the way that he creates conversations without being like super salesy and invasive is pretty incredible. So we brought Larry in, um, God, it feels like two years ago, but it was November of last year. And uh, we've been trying to get it and the staff to pick up more that those LinkedIn leads, when they comment on something, when they share something, if they, like, they, are, yeah. they are warm. And yeah. you, you got to create relationships with them. You don't just yep. send them a direct message with a seeing chart. You create a conversation and you go through a needs analysis and you build a relationship. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, social media is, it's a big part of the future. There's no question about it. Yeah. Well, on, I think what you said though is, I mean, you could see who is just trying to get a deal done and then who is actually, you know, authentic on there trying to build that relationship and you, you really need to do that. But um, it's crazy. I think just, I, I just think back a few months ago, I mean, I've, I sold a few deals without ever speaking to somebody yeah. on the partnership side tickets wow. that, yeah, but a partnership never spoke to them. It wasn't huge, but I want to say like a 17, $18,000 deal all through email. But and clearly you're, you're, you're articulating your brand in the social world. So they know who you are right? and, and yeah. that's why they're willing to do it. So yeah, it's, it's crazy though. And that's, yeah. you know, teams have to adapt, but yeah. Um, I know our team up there was, nobody was active on social. And that was one of the things, especially once we hit COVID, it was like, you know, okay, now everything we've been working on now, we need to take it to another level because, you know, it's a great way to stay relevant. And it's not, it wasn't about like, you know, pitching stuff on there ever. Like we used to just do like videos at the ballpark or tours, little live tours, um, you know, anything we could do um, to generate that interest. How many people do you have now on your team, like under you? Under me specifically, uh, we're down to just 12. Yeah. I mean, so At full capacity, what were you, like pre-COVID? 31. Okay. Yeah. So that's a pretty good size jump from other sizes that you've managed, right? Yeah. Um, so right now, yeah. I mean, so we'll staff up post-COVID again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, right now we're just – we're – trying to do what we can to hold on to everybody and make sure that they've, you know, at least are being trained and learning and, you know, finding as much value in this time as you can. It's hard on them. Like I, I can't imagine being a 25 year old sales rep through this. Like I said, I've, I've been through a lockout twice. I, I know what it's like a little bit, but obviously the, you know, this is something we, it's unprecedented. I know everyone hates that word, but right. you know, it is what it is. And it's uh, just trying to spend as much time as you can making people see the other side. Cause for us, again, in our specific situation, it's this, we've bottomed out on the ice. We've been as bad as we're going to be. We've got the top farm system in hockey. It's going to be so much fun to sell this product as they get back to the cup run coupled with, you know, uh, again, the, technology that we're about to implement to make their job easier. So if you stick with us now, you're going to see the fruits of your labor in a year or two in a big way, in a way you've never seen it working here for the Kings before. So we're pumped about the future, but the challenge now, it's, it's something. Back to um, the Academy. Yeah. Do you guys do anything face-to-face? -face? I mean, pre-COVID or was it all? Yeah. Different? 
No, that's a great question. If I didn't make that clear. Yeah, we, uh, we actually, again, we had a beautiful office overlooking Staples Center, like spectacular. And uh, the program really was based more on the in-house classes. So we would do five classes a year. They went for eight weeks. Um, so it was Tuesday, Thursday night, 6 to 9 p.m. And um, we would do site visits to different facilities and venues around Southern California. It was awesome. And um, it, it was a little stressful on the Kings and the rain side because I had to get to downtown LA from El Segundo or Ontario in time. But um, yeah, the students, like they were great. Like th those Tuesday and Thursday nights, like to have their attention for three hours, like it was pretty cool. And, you know, like I said, they, you could see how much they appreciated and how much they learned. And uh, I still get great emails and calls from them, you know, just checking in because they really appreciated the time. Do you have, um, did you guys ever do like sales for actual teams, like, you know, so, with your students or yeah, that, it was the plan. It was the plan when we launched, we just kind of like, we all got the itch to go back into it full time. And so we didn't, it's not to say we won't do it at some point. Um, but yeah, unfortunately it didn't come to fruition those first couple of years until we partnered with AG. So again, right, right. We, we did partner with them on that phone room for almost two full years. Um, but the plan was that we were going to outsource our services. The problem was uh, the students, they're really busy. I mean, they have full-time jobs, they're going to school right. and trying to find the right way to compensate them for it. within the state of California is also a little difficult. So it was an original plan, something that I think we'll get to at some point, but uh, for now it's been tabled. I mean, I think, you know, from a, a small independent minor league, you know, owner mentality is, man, that'd be a great service for me to work with someone like yourself and, and test out some, some kids, get them some practice and then try to place, you know, one or two. Yeah. No, luckily placement's always been easy, but um, That's good. yeah, that, that work schedule is, it was the biggest inhibitor. Like they really were way busier than we ever expected. They were coming into the thing. What's the website for the Academy? Yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, www.ascacademy.com. Um, again, Accelerated Sports Career Academy. You can also, if you're on Teamwork Online, we partner with them and you'll see us quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun thing to be a part of for students who are kind of lost, don't have a network and just are, don't know how they're going to find a way in. It's a great program, very affordable, and we'd love to, to chat with them. Yeah. I mean, I think it would definitely be helpful to navigate, you know, <laughs> you know, how to, how to get your foot in there, you know, how to, how to be recognized. I mean, cause you know how many resumes you get when there's a posting out there. I mean, it's, it's a ton. So. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the funny thing is there's just, you have to be more aggressive than just hitting send on that application. And there's so many tricks and tools and things you can do that, uh, Hopefully we'll keep them hidden long enough that uh, ASCA will still be worth it. But uh, we teach them a lot of cool tricks and things that you get over the years. So, Yeah. Well, James, I want to thank you for joining me. It was, uh, it was fun chatting some, some tickets and just building, you know, your business that you have there too. I think that's cool. I'm an entrepreneur. So anytime somebody's, you know, got a, got a side hustle going and especially one like that, that is, um, you know, it, it's helping a lot of people and, you know, it fits into exactly what you already do. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. And like I said, uh, happy to help anyone if they want to reach out, connect on LinkedIn, uh, but stay healthy, stay safe. It's cliche, but it's true. And let's look forward to the other side. Hey, podcast fans. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Andrew Haynes Show. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out to Andrew on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.